As a church, have we become more concerned with building our own kingdom instead of God's? You're listening to The Myth of Calling from our series, We Can't Stay Here. Inside of each and every one of us, there is a seed of revolution. Today, we will be examining what it takes to call yourself a minister of the gospel. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. So we are in the final week of this series that we've entitled, We Can't Stay Here. And can I just like pastor confession real quick? Is that okay? Can I do something? I'm seriously glad that this series is almost over. I'm just just putting that out there. This has been, for me, like, uh, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say I, I know what it's like to give birth to a child. I wouldn't equate it to that kind of pain, but I would say, like, not even close. In fact, let's just go back and pretend I didn't say that at all. Um, but the fact of the matter is, every time you deliver, like, a series or a sermon, it's kind of like you're, you're birthing a child. Nothing like it at all, but you get my point. And uh, this has been a difficult birth, to say the least. Because it's been painful, right? We can't stay here. We've got to move. It requires movement. It requires, like, like change. And I hate change, right? I, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like it that much at all. The other day, they changed, like, so where, where they changed some of the channels on my TV, and I freaked out. I thought that Jesus was, like, returning for sure because I couldn't find the Discovery Channel. It was the worst. So just, just to put that in perspective, we, I don't like change. But change is necessary if we are to build the kingdom of God correctly. Amen? 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 All right, good, good. Uh, speaking of change, I want to talk about basketball. Um, no correlation. Just need to make that transition very quick. Uh, how many of you... <laughs> this is bad. How many of you... Uh, did not make either varsity or maybe at a younger level, younger grade, the A team in, in, a, in a sport. Any of us, any of us, let me, let me say this again. Any of us B teamers in the room? Let me, hear, let me hear some noise for the B team in the room. Come on, let me hear you. A lot of you, a lot of you. Okay, now I know my crowd. Um, I didn't really discover my sport, which was football, until probably junior high Prior to junior high, now I know this might be kind of difficult to believe, I was short and round. Now I know, it's kind of difficult to, to believe. Um, but, but here's the fact, I was shorter and rounder than I am now, which is even crazier. Um, but I loved basketball. Here's the problem, though. I was bad at basketball. So, so you have the issue. You, you have um, the love for basketball, but I'm bad at basketball. And that meant that I was on the B Team. I couldn't jump. I couldn't shoot. Lord knows I could not run. And uh, I was devilishly handsome, though, uh, and that kind of saved me. In fact, I brought a sixth-grade picture of myself for you, uh, my basketball. Soak it in. Soak it in. Soak it in. That's taken right now, ladies. Soak that in. Set your goals high. Um, that's me. And uh, thankfully, God has shaped me and changed me. Uh, to not look like that anymore. But, um, you know, when it, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to church, when it comes to Christianity, I wonder, I wonder how many of you would agree with me that it just seems like some of us are called to the B team. Any, any of us? We might feel like we're, we've been called to the B team. B team. In fact, I would say that there's a widespread myth in the church that, that a calling into ministry is, is like a second experience that happens only to a few privileged Christians. And, and, and for those of us that are not, quote, called, 
we're the B team. We're, we're the B team, the backups, or in the least, second string, the sixth man, right? And, and I think that we've been trained to believe that God takes the spiritually uh, elite and entrusts them with, with the ministry. And for everyone else, for all of you, your duty is to simply show up and foot the bill. That's your job. Your job as a church, our job as a church, as a congregation, is to show up and foot the bills. And, and what I want to state from the onset, and I, and I hope you're with me on this, I really do. Uh, it might be shocking to hear. I don't think so, but um, I wonder if you're with me. I, I want to state from the onset that few lies have crippled the church and the mission more than that lie right there. Few lies have crippled the church more than that. So according to Scripture, as, as we are going to see just in a moment in 1 Peter, you can turn over to 1 Peter if you'd like to already. Um, but as we're going to see in a minute, uh, you are not the B team in God's strategy. You are God's plan A in his mission. Let me just say that again because I, I should get a little bit more response. Okay, I'm a little bit sleepy today with you, but I'm going to need you to help me out. Okay, You are not on the B team you are God's plan A for his mission in reaching this world for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You're on the A team. Now, you might have thought that you were on the B team. You might have thought you were JV. You might have thought that you wouldn't even make the team at all. But what I'm telling you is you are on the A team. And I'm going to prove it to you. It's not just enough for me to tell you that. I want to prove it to you by, by Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. Man, I, lo I, love, I love this passage. I love it. And I want you to love it too. And I think Jesus wants you to love it as well. Look at this. Verse 9 says this. But you, I'm going to stop in a couple places, and I need you to, to read the word for me. Can you do that? Okay. Here you go. But you are a chosen race, a royal. All right. We're going to. Okay. I love you. I love. I do. We got to do that better because this is, a, this is an important verse. You are a chosen race, a royal. That's good, that's good. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of, into his marvelous. Now, watch this, verse 10. Look at this, look very closely. Once you were not a people. I get that. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Is that something we should celebrate as a church? The fact that once we were not a people, once we were not God's people, but now we are. Now we are God's people. There was a time when we weren't, but now we are. It says once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're going to get back to that in a minute. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 4. You know this passage. We preached on this. Verse 11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. Who are the saints? You are, you are, I am, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, that's our church, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's my statement. In many denominations, there is strong separation between those doing ministry and those observing ministry those doing ministry and those observing ministry. But what I want you to know and what I want you to hear this morning and what Christ wants you to take away today, I promise you, is what's found here in 1 Peter. Because what's found here in 1 Peter, can we throw up verse 9 again, Paul? What's found in 1 Peter is this, this word. You're a chosen race, a royal, what's that word? Now understand this. This is going to blow your mind. 
I promise you. Um, there was a time, jump over to verse 10, I need you to see this. Once you were not a people, what's that referencing? Well, if you were to take your Bible and you were to stick your thumb in it, which was, it's kind of hard if you own an iPad with a Bible in it, but just put your finger in the middle of it and pretend. Um, on the left-hand side is the Old Testament. On the, new, on, on the right-hand side is the New Testament. We get that, right? Yeah? Okay. What's interesting about the Old Testament is that there were these guys named priests. We know about priests, right? In the Old Testament, these priests would go uh, on behalf of God's people. Who were God's people in the Old Testament? Who were they? The Jews, right? Who were not God's people? Anybody who wasn't a Jew. Guess what? That's you and that's me. I don't have any Jewish blood in me. So scripturally, I'm called what's called a Gentile. So I was not one of God's chosen people. Most likely, neither were you, okay? So these priests would go on behalf of the Jewish people, a small select group of people, and they would go into what's called God's presence. God's presence was behind this big, big veil, this very tall veil, very thick veil. And, and a couple times a year, they would go into the presence of, of God. They would make atonement for the people's sins through various means, and, and they would go on behalf of the people. But here's the, here's the thing. There were only a few priests, so even if you were God's people, that didn't necessarily mean that you had access to God. But, but look at this, verse 10. Look at this, verse 10. Go over to 1 Peter again. Look at this. It says that we were once not a people, but now we are God's people. So something changed. Something changed. One time there were priests who only had access to God. But then God sent Jesus. Okay? Contain yourself now. God sent Jesus. And something very fascinating happens when Jesus dies. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if you read through those, it talks about the moment when Jesus died that something very specific took place in the temple. Do you remember what it is? It says, it says that the veil was ripped in two. And, and I found out a couple weeks ago, we got some old school KJVers in here. We got some King James Version kids in here, okay? But, but I'm going to come with you on this because I, I love how the King James Version says it. Do you know what it says? It says, the veil was rent in twain. I love that. And you're like, well, okay, great. I rip curtains in my house all the time. What, what, is this, what does this have to do with anything? It's very significant because the moment that Jesus died, we, we went from not being able to have access to God to now all of a sudden having full access to God. Can you understand that? We went from a select group of perfect people being priests representing us to now I don't need a man to get to God. Now I can access God on my own. Are, are you hearing? Come on. Are you hearing me? Do you hear the importance of this? I don't have to go to a priest and confess my sins. I don't have to go to a priest and tell him my, my faults. I don't have to tell him what I have to do to pay penance for what I've done. I get to go to God on my own because I am a part. I am in the, in the priesthood of all believers. And what I want you to know is that if you are a believer, you are in that priesthood as well. You are in that priesthood as well. You're not getting it. Okay, let me try to explain it a little better. How many of us like Raisin Bran? Any of us? You know, I like Raisin Bran, but I've got a couple issues. Can I just share those real quick? I need more raisins and less bran. And sometimes, you know, my kids are at an age where I can steal from them. They don't, they don't know it yet. Sometimes on a Saturday morning... We'll make a dad breakfast, which is code for cereal and sometimes milk. And um, 
And I, well, they don't know. They're not going to remember. They're babies. So I go steal their raisins, and I put them in my cereal. But here's, here's the problem. That's, that's not here nor there. That's just because I'm a good parent. Um, you know, if, if, if I wanted more raisins in my raisin bran, uh, and I called to complain about that, wouldn't it be good if I could just go to Mr. Kellogg himself? You know, if I were to call and, and, and talk to somebody, call the Kellogg Corporation and, and say, uh, yeah, I've got a problem with the, with the raisin bran. Not enough raisins, too much bran, right? They're probably going to say, who is that? It's that guy from Grove City. I don't know what he wants. He calls every week and says he wants more raisins. I don't, what am I supposed to tell him? I don't know what to tell him. Just tell him to, you know. I'm not going to get anywhere. Number one, it's stupid, okay? Number two, I, I don't deserve to be able to talk to anybody. I'm not going to make it past customer service. I'm probably going to talk to an automated machine, I'm not going to make it to, 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 to upper management. I'm definitely not going to make it to the, to the CEO of Kellogg's, correct? And that's a ridiculous issue. But what I want you to know is that no matter how minuscule, no matter how small, no matter how ridiculous, no matter how tiny or seemingly insignificant you feel an issue, a problem is in your life, you have full access not to customer service. Not to middle management, not to, not to HR, not to leadership development. You have full access to God, the creator, the father, the one who spoke life into existence. That's the access you have because the veil was rent in twain. You are a part of the priesthood of all believers. Would you say amen to that? Yes? You shouldn't have said amen to that. You shouldn't have, because that was a trick. I tricked you. Because now you're in trouble. I got you. I got you. I got you. Because you know what that means? If we are all equal in the priesthood of all believers, that means we each equally share in the mission. That means what you do is just as important as what I do. And that means what I do is just as important as what you do. Paul says, that leaders in churches, they're responsible to equip their churches for the work of the ministry. Now, I get paid to do the ministry. And listen, I'd like to keep that going, okay? So I'm not, like, throwing that out. I'm just saying I think that maybe sometimes we think that my job is just to be paid to do the ministry. You know what my job is? My job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Why? Because you're a priest, man. You're a priest, ma'am. You are in the priesthood of all believers. We carry this together. So the question is no longer whether we are called, only where and how. Man, that's good. Would you write that down? The question is no longer whether we're called. It's, it's, it's only where and how. Jesus demonstrates this for us. And this isn't a parable. This is found in the book of Luke. And you can look this up on your own time. I'm just going to paraphrase it. Luke chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. It's, it's really cool. Because Jesus was a guy that got invited to parties. I like that about Jesus. I think sometimes we think of Jesus as like this, I don't know, very thin vampire looking guy who just floats from one place to the other and just kind of breathes like, like that's what I think that we mostly think of when we think of Jesus. And it's very wrong and it's very strange. Plus he's always white and, every, and he speaks with an English accent. Like I don't understand. Jesus was very proper. Don't you understand? Don't mess with my Jesus. Okay, that's not Jesus. You understand that, right? Okay. Biblically, that's not, you're messing up my, no, have it wrecked. That's not Jesus. What you have to understand is that Jesus was a person that people desired to be around. 
even influential people, even wealthy people. I love, I love this passage. To summarize it, basically, Jesus is, is invited to this party um, of, a, of a wealthy businessman in the community. And this party is, is kind of like the who's who of Jerusalem, right? It's a big deal. Um, and Jesus himself wasn't rich, per se, right? Um, when he needed to pay his taxes, he sent Peter fishing and caught money out of fish's mouths. Um, so it's not like he was rolling deep, okay? Um, we can just say that. But on the other hand, when you have the ability to walk on water and raise people from the dead, you pretty much get into any party. I mean, that's pretty pretty good trick. Um, now, as the party gets started, as you can read in Luke, um, Jesus is called upon to make some remarks, which with Jesus can go either way, right? I mean, like, sometimes you're like, that's my boy Jesus. What do you want to say about this? And Jesus is like, this, this, and you're like, yeah. Other times, Jesus is like, this and this, and you're like, oh, I should not have asked you to talk. This is one of those times. Because what Jesus says makes the room a little awkward. Jesus is standing in a room with the elite of Jerusalem. And he stands up, and, and to paraphrase, he in essence says, when you throw a party, don't invite your brother. Don't invite your family. Don't invite rich individuals. Don't, don't invite people who are your rich neighbors. Uh, don't invite relatives or, or, or people that you could be repaid with. Don't invite people who could repay you for inviting them. But when you give a feast, invite the poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame and the blind, and you then will be blessed because they can't repay you. Therefore, you will be paid in the resurrection of the just. Now, talk about an awkward moment. Let me explain why it was awkward. Because Jesus literally just pointed out, when you throw a party, don't invite that person. Hey, you, yeah, don't invite that guy, that guy, that guy. That, don't, look, none of you. Don't, no, don't invite any of them. You need to invite people that can't repay you. Do you know what the essence of this teaching is? This essence of the snapshot of Jesus' life? Jesus isn't just talking about how to throw a killer dinner party, okay? Jesus is really teaching us that each and every one of us, regardless of our vocation, regardless of our passion, regardless of our business, each and every one of us is called to a missional living. Each and every one of us is called to a missional lifestyle. When you have a party, don't invite these people. Don't invite the people that can just then invite you to build your business network. Don't just invite the people and invest in the people who are going to bring you a good return on your investment. No, that's not the kind of party you want to throw. And, and, and I, the question then I would ask you is, if your life was a party, who would you be inviting to attend? Who would it be? Would you only invite the people who could repay you? Would you only invite the people who would make you look better? Would you only invite the people who, who, who would make you better? Or would you be busy about building God's kingdom and invite people to the party who could never repay you back? Would you be inviting people to the party who could never pay you back at all? Each one of us, I'm going somewhere with this, each one of us is called to throw the most generous, incredible party ever. And it's called the gospel. Each one of us is called to invite people to the most spectacular, incredible news ever. And it's called the gospel. And yet most of us live our lives in Christian bubbles with people who have already been affected by the gospel. 
We need to throw a party for people who have never heard the gospel. We need to invite people to the party of the gospel who have never heard the name of Jesus or who hate the name of Jesus. Those are the people that we need to be inviting to experience Jesus. Another question. What skill has God given to you? What are you good at? If missional living applies to everyone, then we have to understand that God created us with certain passion, skills, and abilities. Correct? Yes? Yeah. Okay. So, so maybe one of the questions that we should ask, maybe I'll go about it this way. We should ask this. Why did God make me good at this business? Why was it that God made me good at this fill-in-the-blank business? And I want to tell you, surely it wasn't just to fill up your earthly kingdom with creature comforts. Or allow you to save enough so that you could spend the last third of your life on vacation. Is it? No. He gave you these talents as a means of blessing others and as a platform to spread the gospel. To spread the gospel. Let me say it with even more clarity. I said this earlier, but I'm going to reiterate it. You're, and I just keep saying, I'm, I'm basically saying the same thing over and over in the sermon. I don't know if you're getting that. But it's the same thing. Your calling is every bit as important as mine as a pastor. A little further. I'm a professional Christian. That's what you could, you could say. I get paid to be good. That's what I, I get paid to be good. Um, you, you are good for nothing. <laughs> Saying that out loud, I realize how bad. It looked great on paper. It sounds really bad saying that out loud, but you're good, you're good, you're good for free. I'm, I'm paid to be a, a, a good person, a good, a good Christian, right? You should be throwing the party of your life for Jesus' kingdom, not your own. Not your own. Are you throwing a party that celebrates you? Are you throwing a party that celebrates your wealth? Are you throwing, or are you throwing a party to celebrate Jesus Christ? Let me keep illustrating. If you're a stay-at-home mom, my wife is a stay-at-home uh, mom. And, and, and much, much respect, I, I think that stay-at-home mothers are underappreciated in our culture. Um, and I think they are underrecognized. Would you agree with that? Yes? Amen? Stay-at-home moms, they got a full-time job that nobody even knows about, right? Amen? Amen. Yeah. You can, some of you, you can make me a bunt cake later for that comment. Um, if you're a stay-at-home mom, as my wife is, you need to ask yourself, and here's where it gets practical. I want you to ask yourself this question. What role do I play in the advance of the mission? Like, I'm breaking it down for all of us because we're all a part of the mission. So if you're a stay-at-home mother, like, what role do I play in the advancement of the mission? My wife views the raising, my wife Vanessa views the raising of our, of our five children as serious spiritual work. In fact, like, ask Vanessa what she does, and, and she'll tell you that she is a missionary to the unreached people group known as the Davenport children. <laughs> and they are unreached. They are wild. All right? Or to borrow, I love this, or to borrow the words of another Christian mother, I heard, I heard someone say this, quote, I am socializing five homo sapiens into the dominant virtue values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they may, might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And what is it that you do? I love it. I love it. My wife would then explain to you that in Psalm 127, she sees that her primary role 
is to train up children who are to be, as Scripture says, like, like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. And through that discipleship that we both pour into our children, that we will be able to draw back the bowstring and shoot our children into the heart of the enemy. And, and, and listen, maybe you're not a stay-at-home mother. Maybe you're a small business owner. Maybe you're a teacher. Fill in the blank. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're a whatever you are. Maybe you work at a bank. Maybe you work at a wherever. My, my point is not to highlight one area over another. My point is to connect all of them and say that each and every one of us, no matter where we are, are called to build. We are called to the mission. We're called to build the kingdom. You need to figure out how and where you personally fit into that scheme, fit into that mission. Because the same thing applies to, to a public school teacher, a police officer, small business owner. God didn't make you all vocational pastors. And we can say amen to that, can't we? Aren't we glad that God didn't make us all, like I got saved, I'm a pastor now. Like, I'm really tired of that. I, I drove, I, we had a funeral this weekend, and me and my son, we took a road trip up to New Hampshire, and, um, and we got in last night at like 4 a.m. So I'm kind of like tired today. And so this is me at like a three or a four, but that's probably about where you want me, Right? You don't want me rested up and like ready to go. You don't want me at like a nine or a 10 or you will leave bald. You, your hair, I will just stand here and scream and do a microphone, right? I, my point is this, like thank the Lord that we're not all called to be pastors. Nothing would really get done around here except a lot of people walk around, amen, 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 amen. Let's take an offering, amen, amen. Let's take an offering now, praise God, amen. That's what we would do. We're not all called to be vocational pastors, but God did put us all on the front lines of his mission. Each one of us are called to be on the front lines of his mission. And when I say that, I don't, I don't want you to simply exploit your platform to, 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 to have awkward evangelistic encounters with people. Please don't do that. Please don't have awkward evangelistic encounters with people. I, I heard a story, true story. 2004, a pilot is <laughs> flying. Before takeoff, he, he said... Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you're, if you're a believer in here, if you, if you know where you're going to go when you die, raise your hand. And a number of people raised their hands. And he said, I'm going to invite you to go speak with people that didn't raise their hands during this flight. Now, that's a true story. And that guy lost his job. And he should have. Can we be clear about that? The last thing you want is your pilot asking you before takeoff if you're ready to meet Jesus. Okay, last thing you want to hear. I'm not saying that you need to have awkward gospel encounters. I'm saying that you need to learn how to use the platform that God has given you to advance the kingdom for the gospel of Jesus Christ to throw a party for him instead of you. That's it. I talked a couple months ago. <laughs> I, I'm nervous that when you hear me talk about being a Christian in business, you think that you need to start a Christian business or start a business with a Christian name. Remember that? Like, that doesn't mean you need to start a coffee shop called Hebrews. <laughs> doesn't mean you need to start a, a hairdressing salon called A Cut Above. I mean, you don't have to, you know, like, you know, 
You don't have to. You don't have to start a car repair shop called, you know, Levita Custom Car. Do, you know, car jobs. I'm running on empty, but I wrote a couple down. I got to get through them. Okay, just hang with me, right? Um, you don't need to start a men's Christian clothing line named Dude Eronomy. You don't have to do that. That's it. I'm done. I went too over what I promised my wife I would do. I'm done, right? <laughs> Let me say this. Serve Jesus in business, whatever business it is. We need, to, we need to be in every single square inch of our culture because every square inch of our culture and world needs Jesus Christ. Can we, can we agree on that? I love how one pastor says it. He, needs, he says we need to invade all streets. We need to be in every street. We need people in the arts. We need people in business. We need people in school and in medicine and cinema. We need Christians doing excellent work in every single area. I gotta, I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going. I got too much. I want you to write this down. Number one, number one, two questions you gotta ask yourself. Number one, what skill has God given me by which I can bless the world? What skill has God given me by which I can bless the world? And as you're writing that down, I, I wanna make two statements um, because each one of us as Christians have at least two major callings. Number one, the call to use our vocation for the glory of God and blessing others. And number two, the call to make disciples. We share that, amen? Priesthood of all believers, we share those two things. So the first question, what skill has God given me by which I can bless the world? Let me ask you this, what did God make you good at? Stop spending so much time, collegiates, figuring out, should I teach fourth grade? Should I teach fifth grade? Should I teach third grade? Should I teach fourth grade? Oh, man, should I teach sixth grade? Should I teach fifth? What is God's will? Listen, what do you like to do? What are, here's another question. What are you good at? What, what is it that you enjoy? What's your, your passion? Maybe to say it in a different way, what's your sweet spot where your skill and your passion collides right in the center? What is your sweet spot? Listen, do you even recognize that that skill was given to you by God as a means by which he can bless the world? That's the reason he gave you that skill. That's the reason he gave you that passion. He gave you, listen to me, he gave you that teaching ability so you could help children learn about the beauties of the world. His creation. He gave you that artistic ability to bring out the beauty for others to, 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 to enjoy and to see Jesus. That passion to work with your hands, to get down into the dirt, to, to build things structurally. He, he gave you that passion. What skill has God given me by which I can bless the world? Question number two, where and how can I do it most strategically to advance the mission of God? Now, some of us might ask question one, but none of us ask question number two. Where and how can I do it most, strategi most strategically to advance the mission of God? And here's what I'm saying. Rather than just asking, how can I use this skill to make money, we should also ask, where might my skills be of greatest service to others? Where might my skills be of greatest service to others? Particularly as a bridge to share the gospel, as a platform to share the gospel. Now, those of us in college, we have a large college base, some college students. Let me ask you this question. How do you decide where you're going to go about doing what it is you want to do? Most of us make the decision by saying things like, well, well like there's a couple of factors. Like, where's family? 
Um, where's my girlfriend's family? Where's my wife's family? Where's my husband's family? Whatever. Um, where, where can I make the most money? Where is this a booming industry? And those are all good questions. Those are fine questions. Some bad questions. I'm simply saying we should add another question to the mix. Don't you think? Don't you think? I think that we should ask this question. Where and how can I do it most strategically to advance the mission of God? I think that's a fair question to add into the mix of where we land in our life. Not just what's best for my finances. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that being a factor. God doesn't hate money, okay? Like, like, and, and scripture doesn't say it's wrong to have money. You should understand that. Loving to have money, that's, that's wrong. That's very dangerous. But money itself isn't, isn't, isn't a bad thing, so it's not a bad question. Um, but, but here's my question. Should that be the primary factor? Why not make the primary factor of where you're going to be where you can be useful to build the kingdom of God? Now, you might say, well, that sounds a little extreme. Like, I'm all about adding that in, but making that the primary thing, that sounds a little extreme. Okay, well, let's, let's just see what Jesus says. Matthew 6, 33. But seek, I, I know some of us kind of trip up on that word. But seek what? First. Now, interesting, when you look this word up in the Greek, this word first, don't lose me. You ready? i got to make sure I say this correctly. When you look up this word first in the Greek language, do you know what it actually means? It actually means, listen, it comes before everything else. I don't know if you know that or not. The word first means number one above all things. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I know that we haven't really read it that way for most of our lives. But Matthew 6.33 is clear when it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. So let me just take these two questions, and we're going to close with this. Let me just take these two questions. And I'm going to take these two questions, and I'm going to make them into one phrase. And I think this phrase will help us. And I think it's going to help us in pursuing the sent lifestyle that Jesus is calling us to live. Here it is. Whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Whatever you're good at, do it well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. This is where we must begin if we are to understand how we are to live as sent individuals. Amen? Whatever you're good at, do it well. Do it with excellence. Get competitive. Do it better than everybody else. You've got a greater reason. And do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. Now, it's incredible when you read through the book of Acts. We see in the book of Acts, written by Luke, the account of the first church. You're familiar with this, right? And what's amazing about Acts is that it starts in Jerusalem and then the church spreads from there. But do you know the first people to take the church outside of Jerusalem were not actually preachers, teachers, or apostles? They were normal people, normal Christians. In fact, it's really funny. We, we talk about Paul often because he's basically Mr. Mega Christian, right? He's written half the Bible and he's planted churches. Dude's been shipwrecked multiple times, been bitten by animals, beaten, stoned. 
like all these things, jailed, and yet he's still awesome. And he has this desire. He's like, I want to plant a church in Rome. And so finally, Paul, through all the struggle, gets to Rome, and he's going to plant a church. And guess who he's greeted by? Scripture says he's greeted by a group of brothers who have already planted a church there. These aren't apostles. These are just regular guys. If I'm Paul, I'm like, are you, are you serious? I just wrecked in the middle of the ocean to plant a church. Oh, yeah, we got it covered, bro. And it's interesting, Luke doesn't even find them important enough to name them. He just says the brothers. Does he not name them because they're unimportant? Or does he not name them because they're just simply doing what Christians are supposed to do? Plant. Disciple. Go. Live. Sent. I love it. So the question is no longer if we are sent. The question is merely where and how. Where and how. Where and how. Where and how. And I want to say this too. This isn't, I'm going to make a bold statement. Can I, can I do that? Yes? Okay. The question isn't if, it's, it's where and how you're called. So this is something you don't need to pray about. What? You don't need to pray about this. I pray about everything. Well, okay, you may be wasting some time then. This isn't something you need to pray about. Let me explain. How many of us know what a honey-do list is? Anybody have a honey-do list ever? Yeah? Some of you need to get to that. Um, if my wife leaves me a honey-do list and I come home and the honey-do list ain't done, we're going to have words. Now, what if I came home and she said, Honey, I left you all these tasks to do but you didn't do any of them. And I said, well, I saw that you wrote them down for me, but I needed to hear them from your own lips. Let me ask you, would that fly in my house? It most certainly would not. From experience, <laughs> it most certainly has not. Listen to Jesus' honey-do list, John 20, 21. Jesus gives us his own. He says this, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I think the reason that this is difficult for many of us is because we are waiting for God to part the clouds and we're waiting on this voice. But didn't you just hear it? Listen, listen. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Listen carefully. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The voice is in the verse. The voice is in the verse. Look at your neighbor and say, the voice is in the verse. Too many people are waiting on a voice when God already gave you a verse. The voice is in the verse. Each one of us, as followers of Christ, you want to go a little southern preaching? Here you go. Each one of us as followers of Christ has been called, equipped, anointed, and appointed to carry the gospel to every square inch of this world. And this takes each one of us living a sent lifestyle. This takes each one of us changing the scorecard of success, not only for our church, but equally for our lives. We must live as sent individuals. This is what makes the commissioning so great. We all share in it. We all build. We all do this together. The fact is, 
We can't stay here. We got to go. We must live as sent people. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, We Can't Stay Here at Covenant Church. We hope you were impacted by this message today. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing here in this ministry, feel free to give online at covenantchurch.us forward slash give.